Are you tired of building your business alone? If so, I'm putting together mastermind groups with our listeners so we can help each other grow our businesses. So what are you going to learn in these mastermind groups? You're going to come to the table with issues you're having in your business, and you're going to get real feedback from other business owners about what you can do to fix those problems. So if you're tired of growing your business alone and you want feedback on how to improve your business, well, this is the group for you. So to become part of this group, first you have to be a Patreon member. And you do that by going to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And again, spots are going to be limited, so don't miss out on this opportunity. Back to the piece of advice, made this whole call worthwhile for me. Like, hey, consultant guy, come like run our business for us. Consultant guy charges you like 150 to 200 dollars an hour, first of all. And secondly, he doesn't know anything about your business. Yeah, there's no way I would have thought that I've gone to this or that I even wanted to do this. It's interesting how paths take in life. The band broke up because I married a sister. No, I'm not just joking. I did marry a sister. The lessons that we learned through like doing three of these is, and it's a concept Jim Collins says in a book called Bullets Before Cannonballs. Fire a bullet, make sure it hits before you put a lot of resource, you know, because bullet takes a small amount of gunpowder. You can calibrate it. You can shoot again if you need to, but a cannonball, if you miss you just wasted a ton of effort and a ton of resources. So do things small before you go big, and that way you know they're successful along the way. I'm Ryan Moore, 37 years old from Vancouver, Washington. Our company is Ryonet and Allmade. We're in the garment industry. We basically supply everything that you need to print a shirt, whether it's a small shop on Etsy or the guys printing for Nike in the NFL. We're about a $50 million a year company with about 100 team members. We're located in the U.S. mainly, a little bit in Canada and a little bit international business. And our business has grown over the last 15 years. We really used to focus on a lot of startup business, but now we're kind of serving the entire industry, including the t-shirt, which is the all-made apparel business that we just started about two years ago. Just to keep it clear, you said Ryonet and Allmade. Are these two different t-shirt companies that we're both talking about? Ryonet's the name of the overarching brand, and Allmade is one of the brands underneath it, one of the things we manufacture. We also manufacture a lot of screen printing equipment, as well as supplies needed for t-shirt making. You're in all things t-shirt making? Yeah, everything. Literally, if you want to start a t-shirt making business, we got everything that you need from start to finish. How do you make money? Is it you actually print t-shirts? Are you supplying people who want to make t-shirts all across the US? Just tell us a little bit more about that. It's an interesting industry. A lot of people don't know about screen printing, how it's done. There's also directed garment printing, which we're in as well. But you can print a t-shirt digitally or through a screen printing process. We typically go through the screen printing process and supply screen printers what they need. And it doesn't take a lot to print a t-shirt. When you see a printed t-shirt, it's about 10 cents of product and consumable and equipment time that go into making that t-shirt. And t-shirts, you're going to buy them for anywhere between $15 and $30, depending on the brand or whatnot that you're buying. There's millions and billions of t-shirts printed. There's about 2 billion t-shirts printed in the US alone. And then the worldwide market's much larger than that. It's a huge industry that touches so many different parts of life. That's really fun to be a part of. You're saying it only costs about 10 cents to make, but is it just because your company's so efficient at it versus maybe I'm in Jacksonville, Florida, and the local guy that I know who screen prints, I mean, does it cost them that little as well? A lot of it's labor. So labor of a screen printing shop, you could have labor that costs a dollar a shirt and some really efficient shops could cost 10 cents. The 10 cents is just the consumable supplies. And that's what we supply to the industry. We supply the equipment that you need to print. We supply the inks and the chemicals needed to make the shirt. So we get about 10 cents a shirt. And our company, 
we're about a $50 million company. We touch about 500 million shirts a year. You're more the business to business aspect versus if I'm going to the local printing guy, he's business to consumer. Yeah. There's about one out of every 3000 people screen print. And a lot of people do it just for fun or out of their home. So we do a lot of B2B work, but we also we're very B2C relatable because screenprinting.com is our main website. And that is a very user-friendly website, whether you're just printing one shirt to have fun or experiment with it, or if you're printing millions. Okay. So Ryanet, like you said earlier, is just the main company. And then you have all these kind of sub-companies. I know you said all made, but it sounds like screenprinting.com, a subsidiary of that, that also goes to consumers just so we're all on the same page. Yeah, screenprinting.com, that's our main consumer website. And then we have a couple other brands. Riley Hopkins is a brand of equipment that we manufacture here in the Northwest that you can actually use to screen print with. Does it ever get confusing trying to explain all this? It does. That's why I love being in the t-shirt industry now, like you know, the all-made apparel that I spoke about. It's so much easier to explain. Hey, we make t-shirts and we do it for orphan prevention and we do it with eco-friendly materials. I'm like, okay, I get that. Everyone wears a t-shirt, but screen printing, it's like when I used to be on a plane, hey, what do you do? Well, we're in the screen printing. Oh, can you make me t-shirts? No, we actually don't make t-shirts, but we help people make t-shirts. So you can make me t-shirts, right? Uh, okay. It is a little hard to explain. That's what I was thinking initially when we had booked you. Is it's like, does he do the actual screen printing or is he putting that out there for anyone to be able to start their own screen printing business? So at the end of the day, what percentage are you making as far as your whole revenue coming in? What part of it's all made? What part of it's screenprinting.com or these other ones? Or can you just kind of break that down? Ryanet has been around for 15 years. And so the screen print supply and equipment business is the main business. All mates, a brand new business. Last year, we did about 2 million in revenue, just a little bit over it. Most of our business is coming from the equipment. And some of these equipment shops are multi-million dollar installations of these massive equipment installs that are printing for the big, big brands like Hurley and the NFL. And then we also help somebody start screen printing for as low as 200 bucks and they can do it out of their home. So we kind of just serve the entire market. And you said you're doing about 50 million a year in Portland, Oregon area. How many people actually work for you? We have about 100 and we're mainly headquartered in Vancouver, Washington, which is right across the bridge from Portland Airport. But we also have techs that hub around and we also have a location that we do a lot of manufacturing with Atlanta, Georgia. Did you ever think that you'd get to this size? I started out like punk rock band. We did our own t-shirts. That's how I got into the screen print industry. And I started helping other bands screen print their own shirts as well, because it's a very DIY punk rock scene. It's always about do it yourself and kind of take control. And I never thought once we started the very first person I helped print a shirt. Yeah, there's no way I would have thought that I've gone to this or that I even wanted to do this. It's interesting how paths take in life. Something like maybe you just wanted to be a star in your punk rock band and then the t-shirt thing came along and just took it by storm over the last 15 years? Yeah, t-shirts was a way to do it. We funded four albums when we recorded and we toured. We got on some big tours and did a lot of small crappy shows too. So t-shirts were a way to fuel the van as it went around the road and pay for some recording. And then the screen printing supplies that came from that, the little kits, I basically what happened is this band asked me to help them print t-shirts. I thought, hey, I was always kind of an entrepreneur, did all sorts of things from mole extermination to window washing. And so I was looking for opportunities not to have to work that hard or have a real job so I could have flexibility to do things that I actually wanted to do. I thought, hey, man, if this band wants to print shirts, maybe other bands want to print shirts too. And so I put this kit together. I took a really old school photo and stuck it on eBay. And it sold for like 200 bucks. And so we'd go on tour and I would be selling these kits along the way to kind of help fund tours, especially if we had bad shows or something canceled and go home and I'd make them and ship them out. And eventually that led to us building a e-commerce business because my dad invested in an e-commerce platform for me to go in and actually make a business out of it. That was in 2004. I thought if I did about 30,000 a month in revenue, 
I could probably not have to do all these other side gigs and probably could figure out, I could basically be financially independent. And we did that the very second month we were in business. All of a sudden we had a business and now it was really fun to grow that business and the band ended up breaking up after that and then just got into the business side of the equation. Did they break up because you want to make them free t-shirts? Funny story, like the equipment that we used to build, I remember Brandon, who's actually the president of Ryan and now, he was our lead singer. The band broke up because I married his sister. No, I'm not just joking. I didn't <laughs> marry his sister, but <laughs> that's not why we broke up. He got an offer to go and record on Columbia Records. And at this time, this business was kind of growing a little bit. So we decided to break up. Bands are really, it's democracies. When you start a business, it's a little bit more of, it's not a dictatorship, but you have more control. You know, my band would vote a lot of my crazy ideas off the island, and I didn't feel like we were working hard enough or we were doing the right things that it was going to take to be successful. So when I started the business, I had ultimate say over the decision, and it was really empowering, and we also saw great results. Yeah. I would say even if it wasn't the band necessarily, you could say if you had your own business with three other guys or four other guys, right, where you're going to get like 20% of the vote or 25% of the vote, people could relate to that versus having owning your own company 100% where you get to make the decision versus it sounded like in the band that was always an issue. You were always outvoted. Yeah. The decision on is this a good show to play or not, or is this a good sample to use on your album? Yeah. I think in business, it's very important that you're very aligned in values. And that's one of the things that our band wasn't super aligned with. We all had different values. And as a result, we never really quite jived together. And it's hard to do in business too, but it's easier when you have a controlling stake in it. We've been kind of roughly talking about the band and starting Ryanette. So why don't we go back to that point and tell us like how old you were in the band and when you actually broke up and started Ryanette. And that way we can take it chronologically about your growth and what we can learn. I remember being in my bedroom. It was raining in January 2004. And my dad calls me up. He's like, hey, you want to go to this internet marketing seminar about how to start an online business? And this is the last thing that I wanted to do with my day. I've always been an entrepreneur. I said that before, and I think it was because my parents were in the Amway business growing up. I used to go to these free enterprise days and listen to all these stories of entrepreneurs that had started these businesses and done pretty awesome things and had a lot of this quote unquote freedom to do what they want to with their lives. So that kind of always inspired me. But since he got out of Amway, he was doing all different real estate investing, stock market investing, and he always went to these seminars and never did anything with it. It was always kind of a waste of time. And my mom always looked at it as kind of a waste of money. But he got me because there was free lunch there. I was like, oh man, that's a lunch that I don't have to buy today. And I'm completely broke. So I go to this seminar. My dad ended up investing in this e-commerce solution. He invested in about $10,000 with us. And that was the start of our business. I go home. We already had the idea of selling screen printing supplies. So I look for a domain name. I find a domain name, started building this website in my bedroom with some coaching along the way and launched it a few months later. It was just a very interesting time in the industry. We've heard about like stuff being outsourced. So a lot of the screen print industry got outsourced in the 90s. And so we were starting up in the 2000s and it was a very kind of downtrodden industry. It was kind of negative and there was not a lot of energy happening. So when we got into it, we provided an easy way for people to start a business. And we didn't start a screen print supply company. We started like, hey, you want to start screen printing? You know, we got everything that you need to start screen printing. We're going to train you how to do it. We're going to help you along the way. And we're going to help you grow. And we've helped 130,000 businesses start in the last 15 years. So the amount of people that have come to us and started a business, and some have done it on a small scale, some have done it like a huge scales, and some have not succeeded just like any business. But it's really cool to be a part of that journey. Check out this new fresh ad spot for the Great Courses Plus. 
there's a sense of pride that comes with being able to talk confidently, intelligently about a subject. And that's why I love The Great Courses Plus. With this streaming service, I have the freedom to learn more about virtually any topic and not just get the basics, but truly master it. Learning unique perspectives from top engaging experts in their fields. There's unlimited access to thousands of lectures on topics like the psychology of performance, nonverbal communication, even mindfulness or Mediterranean cooking. And with The Great Courses Plus app, you have the flexibility to watch or listen just about anywhere. I'm learning a lot from the course, The Entrepreneur's Toolkit. It provides great, fresh, detailed tips and tools for anyone looking to start, nurture, expand, and sell a business. Even shows how the same valuable, fresh skills can translate to other aspects of your life. So to get that awesome feeling of pride that comes with knowledge, sign up for The Great Courses Plus. For a limited time only, they are offering our listeners an entire month for free. But to start your free month trial, you must sign up today using our special URL, which is thegreatcoursesplus.com forward slash millionaire. So again, to learn from this awesome course, The Entrepreneur's Toolkit, go to thegreatcoursesplus.com forward slash millionaire. You were 22 when you started the e-commerce platform. Can you just explain a little bit more? You said your dad invested 10000 bucks. I guess I'm a little confused on what he invested in to help you start off this company because it didn't seem like it cost that much to start an e-commerce platform at that point in time. 2004, there wasn't a really good website template builder. You couldn't go spin up a Shopify store or e-commerce or something like you can now. It was this company that had a business called Stores Online. They're out of Utah. And they went around and their business was selling these website packages. It wasn't just one website. I think we bought six websites and then he bought coaching to basically guarantee that I got my button gear and made this website happen. You know, I could have done it a lot cheaper myself, obviously, but there's no way without that coaching or without kind of a system to build into, I would have done it. It was successful for me because of that investment. And my dad kind of looked at it as like, hey, this kid didn't go to college. I'm paying for college for my other kids. And he kind of convinced my mom. I had to promise my mom was actually going to do it in order for him to invest this money. And he's like, yeah, it was cheaper than a college tuition. So we got him some coaching. We got him this website. We'll see what he does with it. And I think that's good. And it's great of your parents to like recognize that or even for you, it's just if this person served as a mentor, whoever was coaching with you, if that's what you kind of needed to help motivate you at first or to make sure you're on track. I think that's important that people kind of learn from that. Hopefully they can actually find someone and other than just passively or actively listen to a podcast, I think the importance of actually having someone to relate to or ask questions can really help. Mentorship is huge. And I remember being in that seminar and looking at these speakers and the sales team and being very, very impressed with how they operated and everything they did. And I never wanted to speak before, but I like being on stage. Obviously, because we were in a band. I thought right there, I was like, hey, I could speak for this company. It'd be cool to do this. This is kind of like performing, but kind of different. And a year later, I ended ended up speaking with them because our website was doing good enough. They needed some success stories to go along on the road with them and tell like, hey, what can you do with the website? And this kid can build it out of his bedroom. And I think at that time we were doing like 50, 60,000 a month in revenue. And I learned so much from a sales side from their amazingly run sales organization, but also listening to the professional speak on how to do SEO and how to do pay-per-click marketing. I would literally speak for about 30 minutes during the day. And then I'd sell for the team about two hours of the day. And the rest of the time I'd be programming the website in the back of the room. Once I started doing that and having like that ongoing mentorship that I literally would do for free because I basically didn't get paid to do this, we went from doing 50000 a month in revenue to doing 500000 a month in revenue by the end of that year. In your first year? 
if I would have known about the, I kind of kick myself sometimes like, man, if we would have submitted to Inc. 500, we had to have been top 10 because we went from the first year of business. I think I did close the year at like 250 in revenue. The second year we did 4 million. The third year we did 8 million. It seems kind of like even your first month, you said your second month you did 30,000, right? Yeah, right out of the gate. Yeah. I mean, it sounds pretty easy to be able to just do all that. You didn't have any background in any of this online stuff. The only background you had was kind of putting together kits for screen printing, right? Super lucky. A lot of businesses have luck events. And this was definitely a luck event where we one of the first e-commerce solutions in this industry that you could actually be reliable to check out with. And so building a platform and then learning some basic SEO and pay-per-click marketing, like just shot us to that first stage in business that a lot of people take a lot longer to get to. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. What were you doing to get people to your website? And what was the actual website that you started off with? What was it called? That website was a tongue twister, silkscreeningsupplies.com. One of the things I went and looked at when I first bought the website package, I go home that night, I'm like screen printing online or, you know, screen printing supplies. And the name of the first website was called Ryan Screen Supply. And I'm like, what? I almost gave up on that idea because I was like, they rank number one on Google and they have my name. I'm screwed. But ended up finding silkscreeningsupplies.com, which is, again, was the first domain. Proves you don't have an amazing domain name to make it. And we built that website. I also built a couple other websites, a shirt supply website called ShirtSpace that's still active, but we sold that part off and a few other micro sites. But silkscreeningsupplies.com was what we started out with. And then we ended up buying the domain screenprinting.com about five years into it. And we converted the website over to screenprinting.com. If I haven't said this on past podcast episodes, because I might not have actually, are you familiar with the Wayback Machine? Yes. I love it. Well, yeah. If you don't know about it, it's called the Wayback Machine, where you can go to any website, type in the domain, and then see what it looked like back when it started. So I'm actually on your website, what it looked like in 2004. It's horrible. A lot of the pictures are missing because it doesn't always have the images, but it has the text at least so I can see that because, I mean, we're talking about, what, 15 years ago. But, I mean, the first thing I noticed is it looks like on the first page you're just asking for an email address. So I'm trying to figure out what things led to your success here early on, especially in the first couple months because I think anyone who doesn't have a business yet and wants one, I mean, obviously they would be thrilled, I think, with the success that you've had doing it. But I'm just trying to figure out what else led to this success here, whether it was other AdWords, getting emails, what really helped. Back then, it was really easy to do AdWords. You could go in, you could see, basically it was a reverse auction and you could see what people were bidding and how much they were bidding. And you could basically do a quick ROI analysis. I'm like, hey, if I spend $1 to get this word, how much does it convert to in revenue? We came up with an algorithm and just went and bid on words like crazy and kept our ad budget about 5% of our gross revenue. And I remember sitting and we were doing like 72,000 a month. I think this was January, 2005. And I remember sitting in the back of the room listening to this pay-per-click guy talk when I wasn't speaking and he says like, once you figure out your algorithm, I'm like, what's he talking about? Wait a minute. If I'm spending a thousand dollars and we're getting this much revenue, if I spend $50,000, could I get this much revenue? And yeah, we could. And we had great credit card business. So we basically just funded our own growth through credit card sales grow and then paid for AdWords. That was the main trigger that got our first success. You're talking to us about the revenue, at least in this first couple of months and stuff, but what was like your net profit? So we get an example of actually how much money you were making. The first time we did taxes was in 2006. I was always like, the books were horrible. We didn't have any inventory. Wait one sec, because you started 2004. So did you not feel like doing it the first two years? No. I mean, it just was like, literally would take so long to turn in every single receipt and everything like that. It wasn't quite 2006, but I think it was 18 months after we started. I don't want to get you in trouble. I'm just trying to make sure that <laughs> this is an issue that people have when starting a business. They don't think about the taxes. I started with a sole proprietorship. Fortunately, quickly switched to a corporation to be a little bit more protected. 
once we knew we had a viable business model. But we were always profitable. We kind of managed it. My wife ended up joining our business and she managed until we had twins five years into the business. She managed the books and she would just, hey, if we have cash in the bank account, we're doing good. And we always had cash in the bank account. And at the end of the day, we always would net between five and 10% net profit. That's typically where we net still today, where we budget to. I mean, it was smart of you to like, okay, what you found what was working, right? So the number one thing that was working was at AdWords because it was so easy at that point in time to rank higher and pay for these AdWords to get people to your website. The first AdWords and then building out SEO underneath that. So good content online was the first whole thing of how we got successful. But then the second phase was when Google bought YouTube, we had done some screen printing videos because it was really hard to teach somebody how to screen print. If anyone's ever tried it before, there's a lot of variables and trying to talk somebody to it over the phone is frankly impossible. So I started doing these videos to show people the process. And one of our customers took this video and threw it on YouTube as soon as YouTube goes live. And I start to see all this revenue coming in from YouTube. Wow, that's cool. So we ended up hiring a videographer that I had done some movie investing work on the side, being successful out of the gate, had some extra money invested in a movie that completely bombed. And then when it bombed, he's like, man, I really don't want to go work for Big Five anymore or like Best Buy, I think he was working at can I come like make videos for you? I was like, yeah, we're actually getting some decent traffic on this YouTube thing. YouTube still today is our number one source of views or traffic on how to screen print. And so that was the next kind of successful thing is teaching our customers how to screen print. We started classes, but we did a ton of videos on the screen printing process and that got ranked well on YouTube and that drove people to our website. That's what eventually came along. What year was that with the YouTube thing? That was 06. Up to that point, I just still wanted to point out that if you were spending like a thousand bucks on the ads and then you noticed how much it was helping, that you're wondering how much more could you spend and would you get the same result? And it sounded like you did too. Anyone who figures it out, I think it's always important to test something out, right? You didn't start off spending 50,000 on Google AdWords. You test it out and, and then it seemed like you're getting a huge ROI. So then you're like, let me dump more money into this because if it's going to help like this, why wouldn't it help even more? Absolutely. We say from a book, Great by Choice, and it's a concept Jim Collins says in that book called Bullets Before Cannonballs. Fire a bullet, make sure it hits before you put a lot of resource in it because bullet takes a small amount of gunpowder. You can calibrate it. You can shoot again if you need to, but a cannonball, if you miss, you just wasted a ton of effort and a ton of resources. So do things small before you go big, and that way you know they're successful along the way. What were your hours when you're working? Were you at home, like in your parents' bedroom or whatever? Because you said you started this basically from your bedroom. Yeah, we were renting a house. So we kind of went from me in this bedroom and then we had this pole barn and then we had this inside of the house, the garage. So it was like this complex of guys. Everyone that I hired just ended up living at the house. So it was kind of just like a frat house slash, I think we woke up like nine or 10 o'clock, started business, slightly hungover, but it quickly turned to an actual business. We got our first building, then got our second building, ended up buying companies companies in the Midwest to have a better distribution footprint and manufacturing footprint. One of the things that we did in our business and still do today is vertical integration. And it's going out and just being a reseller of supplies, you know, buying something and selling it. It's very hard to be different, to build something for a different price point or that operates or functions differently. So we started making all of our own stuff, whether it be consumables or the equipment that we help people print with. And that helped us be different in the marketplace and provide our customers with different solutions. And that's stuff that happened along the way. But even in the earlier years, again, it's something that I always like to hit on because I think it's interesting to see if you really started off super passionate about it or I don't know, if I were in your shoes, I would feel like after month two, after you're making that much revenue, 
I'd want to work as hard as I can. It's crazy how much money you're able to bring in right away. I mean, what was your work-life balance if there was any at that point in time? Because weren't you single? And again, weren't you at your parents' house? Because you just said that you kind of had a frat house going at some point. Not at my parents' house. We were renting a place. Dude, to be honest with you, I don't remember the first two years. I was traveling a lot with this company doing speaking, but it was crazy. Literally, there was no work-life balance. We literally lived and worked at home. Everyone that I was in my life was a part of this business. My girlfriend, my fiance then was a part of the business. All my friends were a part of the business. I ended up hiring all your friends, you know, of course. You know, you'd work 14, 16, 18 hours a day and then do it again the next day. So I was thinking about that last weekend, actually. It's like, I like to work on the weekends, bang out like maybe four to six hours of work over the course of the weekend. It's my creative time to write or to work on projects that are hard to do in the office. And I was like, man, I wonder how many people work this weekend. I know our CFO works. I know our president's probably working, but it's like, it used to not even be like wondering, like you just be working all through the weekend. So you think that's what led to some of your early success as well? Taking advantage of the luckiness and really just diving into building out the website, building out the SEO, building out the pay-per-click marketing, you know, and all that stuff really helped us differentiate from the competition because there is a lot of competition in this space. It's a very competitive industry, but I wasn't super passionate about the industry itself because it was a very negative space. So you go on these forums and everyone would be just kind of ripping on each other. And we got ripped on a ton because we had no idea what we were doing. And so the professional screen printers out there would be like, these guys are jokes. Well, you know, suck it because we're doing this. I hated it. Right. I went from playing warp tours to I remember going to the first trade show and I was like, oh my God, what did I get myself into? Like a bunch of middle-aged white guys walking around in polo shirts. It was not fun, but starting a business and growing a business is fun as crap. That was a blast to do that. But what ended up happening is because we started so many businesses, it's weird. Like so many musicians start screen printing businesses. It's just like the story is like, oh yeah, I was in a band. I started screen printing business. That's kind of the thing. And so I ended up getting to be friends with, and there are customers now, like some of the biggest bands that they were my idols growing up on tour. All this energy and this entrepreneurship that we helped create in this industry is really cool to be a part of. And the industry is so different 15 years into it than it was 15 years ago. It's very creative. It's very like punk rock music just like artistic and growth mindset oriented. I love the industry now. So happy that we're in it. So cool to be a part of a customer's journey and success, but it wasn't that way when we started. Fortunately, we have this growth that kind of fueled the interest and the passion to really pour into the business. I could get that same feeling or vibe. I don't know. You might enjoy doing it, but sometimes you lose your passion. I was going to ask that at some point, just along the way of printing t-shirts and, you know, selling the goods for other people to make their actual t-shirts to keep your motivated and passion in this industry, especially at your age seems, I don't know, most people don't do that. It seems like every couple of years they're switching what they're doing versus you staying with the self-screen printing the whole time. Yeah. I think entrepreneurs have that problem. And I have that problem as really core entrepreneur at heart is like, you want to start all these different things. And for a while, I literally thought I was going to do e-commerce or something different. I never thought I was going to be in this industry long-term. When we had our kids, my wife left the business and you kind of have those life realization moments like, hey, is this something that I really want to do long-term? I kind of looked at our customer base and I looked at like what we've done and I was like, man, what industry am I going to go into that I'm going to have the ability to help all these new businesses? It's, it's a platform that we've already built. It's an amazing platform to be a part of. Why not just pour into it? And by the way, it's fun and it's creative too. And that's always stuck. And it's awesome. When we started All Made Apparel, All Made Apparel is a new business. Along the way, we've started these sub-businesses that kind of have like fed that entrepreneurship craving, I guess you would say. When we started All Made Apparel, we actually did it with our customers. We took 11 customers. We said, hey, we want to make this apparel line. 
we want to do it differently. We want to make an apparel line that's built for screen printers. So we're going to ask you to be a part of this. We're going to have you help name it. We're going to have you help do the branding. We're going to have you help design the product, literally the fiber up. And we're going to do it in Haiti so that we can actually give back to a third world country that is typically making garments for no money. We're going to pay them way more money so they can take care of their kids and not have to give them to these orphanages because they can't afford to keep them. And we're going to do it with organic materials. If you choose to, it was like the real world screen print. We'd take 26 people to Haiti to go on this exploration to start this all made apparel brand. And some of those connections and relationships you know, they're like our best friends now. It's amazing to be so connected to a customer base because you're connected to their journey, they're connected to your journey, and we're successful together. Even when you started off with your intro, when you talked about your company at first, I mean, I could definitely see that where you're talking about Ryanet and Allmade, but then along the way, I even mentioned that you have kind of these other domains and stuff. So I could see, again, you're in the same industry, but doing these little offsets still, I guess, kept you maybe active or more excited along the way. I think it drives the core operators at our company crazy. <laughs> right. You have to continue to invent and renew and do new things. And if you look at the great successes in business out there, you know, Apple didn't start out to build iPhones and Amazon didn't start out to provide cloud services. They always kind of morphed and created these new micro things. And it's awesome to do that on a different level on a different scale in a different industry. So how about jumping back to your story? I'm just trying to think if there's any big things along the way that we can learn and trying to figure out what year it was, how old you were. Should we take it from first couple of years? It seemed like awesome success. And then you said along the way, your wife also had kids and she got out of the business. So at what point do you want to kind of stop and we'll reminisce about what, what life was like back then? So there's a couple of key lessons. Five years into it, we had built about a $20 million a year company. And we were deciding whether to invest a lot of money into going to the next phase or maybe sell the company or do something different because it's easy to build a couple million dollar company. It's okay to build a $10 million, $20 million. But after that point, you have to you know invest in systems and processes and all this different stuff, inventory management, ERPs, all that stuff. And so when I was deciding that, first of all, when my kids were born, I hadn't really done a lot of personal development and leadership development up to that time. And I was like, man, if I really want to be a good leader, but also a good dad, I'm going to have to really start pouring into myself. So I started exercising and I started really going into leadership development and reading books. And I'm a part of an organization called Vistage that is basically like a brain trust of CEOs and you have a mentor and you get to connect and you meet once a month for a day and then do these retreats. So I started that. And we also came up with our company values because once I decided like, hey, this is an industry and this is a business that I want to be in long-term, that I want to last longer than me. So we came up with our value system as a company, you know, our purpose as a company, our branding, kind of our core brand promise as a company. And that really honed it together because you start a business, you hire your friends, and of course you have your similar core values because you're friends. But as you slowly grow, you bring people in. If you don't have that defined out of the gate, it's easy to get people that are not aligned. And we did that. You know, one of our values is be positive. And there was a lot of people through that course of time that were negative and they had just this negative outlook on life and it didn't work. You know, I ended up parting ways with them, especially once we established this be positive core value. And so I think those are three lessons, personal development, values in business, and then you're really defining your purpose as a business. This is 2009. So what, you're just about 30 at this point? Yeah, just before 30, 29, 30. At that point, is that when your wife had kids yet or no? And we had kids in 2009. We had twins. She went from like a full-time job at work to like a full-time job at home. 
This was a self-reflection point when you're deciding whether you actually wanted to sell or increase Ryanet. I mean, at that point in time, did you ever have any offers or were you trying to sell? Like how far did you get into that as far as trying to figure out if you want to get rid of the business? I always knew that we could sell the business and I could probably sell it for enough money that I would never need to work again. But it never was attractive to me. And it still isn't attractive to me to sell the company. Then I, I don't know what I would do next. I think it's more attractive to me to take the money that we're making and invest it into making a better workplace or doing more stuff in the industry or for our company and our future. Can you remember what your like day-to-day was like at that point in time? Because I don't know how much it is different today versus back, let's just say again, 2009, like what you were doing then versus now. Way different. You know, you go from being operator in the business, so literally programming the website, answering customer service emails. Everyone just jumped on and we kind of did everything. Some days I'd be shipping packages. Some days I'd be teaching a class or doing a video. Now it's like we have a team, very defined roles. We're still growing. We're still flexible. So what I focus on now is completely different. I think one of the good leadership principles that I've learned is the ability to zoom in and zoom out. For a leader to be able to literally work a front line, whether it's shipping a package or taking a customer service phone call to meeting with CEOs in a different industry, exploring new opportunities and the ability to look at a 10,000 foot view, but also the one foot view is super important to me. So I was making cold calls to customers last week and then flying all over the country this week and speaking. So it's totally different, but I still like to do the micro stuff as well as the big picture stuff. And at this point in time, this was about the YouTube. Was it a couple of years in or was this right when you started kind of getting into YouTube? Because I think we need to take some time to talk about that. Man, thank goodness for YouTube. <laughs> I'm speaking this weekend on video marketing because it's such a huge tool. It's free. SEO. That's how I learned everything. I was learning how to fix a car this weekend on YouTube. I was learning how to screen print my own t-shirt. So I saw you. There you go. It's funny on, I'll be in the airport because one out of every 3000 people screen prints, like if you do it on average and be like, Hey, you're the guy that taught me how to screen print. It's like, my kids think it's funny. People like take selfies, but it's such a small industry that not very many people do it. But when you meet somebody that you've helped taught along the way, and they've watched hundreds of your videos, it's kind of a cool moment. But we still do invest heavily in YouTube. We were really focused on just instructional videos. We've made so many throughout the years. They kind of still hold their rank and they still hold their power. We still make them, but we don't have to make them as much because we've made so many. So now we focus on storytelling and kind of developing different educational platforms for the customer base. What year did you start getting into the YouTube? I'm looking at your channel right now. So you've got like 75,000 plus subscribers and I don't even know how many videos because I don't think it tells you on there. Do you have an idea of how many? I think we end up taking a lot of them down, but we've done over 2,500 videos. I think that's important too. Were you taking them down because they weren't getting enough views or you thought you could do better or something like that? Super old school videos. They might be a product that isn't relevant in the industry anymore. The technique changed or just bad information. I didn't know what I was doing when I started. So I like literally did videos telling people how to do stuff. Not the wrong way, but not really the right way either. Tell us your first video a little bit more about the story since you're talking about storytelling on YouTube. I just sorted the opposite way. It says your first one was like, at least the one that you saw up was 11 years ago. I remember seeing the first video be posted. It wasn't even posted by us. So somebody ripped a DVD. They posted it. I can't remember if it was (laughs) 2005 or 2006. First, I was mad. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But if you see the production quality, it's like not like they ripped anything special. So uh, first, then you asked them to take it down because it wasn't good enough. No, I didn't. I was like, Thanks. I'm joking. Like opening <laughs> this up. The first video that we did was literally I rented out this office space and we ended up turning that into a classroom, but I wanted to teach the screen printing process. And this video was like nine hours long. We took three DVDs to put on 
and I did it for four days in the same clothes with 500 watt halogen shop lights as our lighting setup. I was sweaty. My clothes stunk so bad. Like when you're in the same clothes for four days, you just end up as a dude, you end up itching quite a bit. I remember I still get comments of like, hey dude, that first video that you made, that was cool, but you just itched yourself way too much. <laughs> it was horrible. But it taught a lot of really good knowledge throughout it. And especially after we hired this videographer, he started upping the production value of it. And we started getting much better at the process of doing it. I write a script and we shot list it and then we do it and then we put it online. It's really fast. So you said it was just kind of random. Were you proactively thinking this could be a good marketing play or what? No, it was like, we had to do it. When you learn how to screen print, it's so hard to teach somebody how to screen print. The best way to do it is hands-on. So we started classes, but, and you can't teach the whole world how to do that. So started doing these videos as like, literally, hey, how do you code a screen or how do you print a hoodie with a zipper on it? So like, hey, let's make a video on how to do that. That's why we started doing it. And it just ended up being a huge source of marketing too that was free. Whether you're developing your personal brand, building your own business, or working for a large organization, your online presence is critical to your success. Pantheon is the leading web ops provider powering more than 285,000 websites and trusted by small business, startups, and some of the most well-known brands. Rated as the leading product for both small businesses and enterprises, and named one of the top 10 software products of 2019 by G2 Crowd, Pantheon's web ops platform helps you build, manage, and optimize your most important brand asset, your website. Whether you're just beginning to build your dream or already well on your way, Pantheon can help you deliver the best online experience and future-proof your digital presence. To learn more about how Pantheon can help you and your business, go to pantheon.io forward slash millionaire. That's pantheon.io slash millionaire. Or scroll to the episode notes below to find out more about Pantheon. Need a new logo for your current or future business? Well, BrandCrowd is an awesome logo maker tool that can help you make an amazing logo design online. If you're an entrepreneur, startup founder, innovator, thought leader, or basically anyone who owns a business, well, BrandCrowd is a fantastic and easy way to get a logo. BrandCrowd takes your business name and industry and generates thousands of logos in seconds. BrandCrowd uses high quality handcrafted designs created by designers from around the world to create custom logos just for you. Once BrandCrowd generates a logo you like, you can edit and tweak the logo, changing fonts and colors until it is perfect for you. One of the best things about BrandCrowd is it's free to get started and begin generating logos. Plus, it's super easy to use. Once you're happy with your logo, you can download all the files you need to start your business. If you don't like any of the designs, no problem, you don't have to pay. So to find out more about BrandCrowd, go check out brandcrowd.com forward slash maker. That's B-R-A-N-D-C-R-O-W-D.com forward slash maker. Because basically the people who are buying your supplies, some of them might've been the first time they've never even done screen printing before, right? So that's the reason you wanted to help your quote unquote customers learn how to actually use the products that they were buying from you? Yeah, they had to because most of them had never done screen printing before versus having to walk somebody through something. And there was no video chat back then or anything either. So, hey, you got to try this. You can't see what's going on versus like, hey, can you watch this video and try this? And then if you have problems, then call me back. 
that made our customer support so much easier. After you did the first one, was that like a light bulb? How well that worked that you're like, hey, we just need to start pouring into this because it's much easier than if you had to drive across town and show someone versus even if someone's buying something across country from you, right? It'd be impossible for you to go over there and show everyone one by one. But doing the videos, even the first one would think that's a light bulb moment for you. Yeah, it was. But it wasn't marketing based. It was all like just to get us off the phone to help our customers be more successful and ended up being the best thing that we've ever done for marketing and still is the best thing. That was 2009. We kind of stopped there. Do you want to pick up from that point? You decided to expand the company. I know you said you got rid of some people who are negative, which I think is always important. Some people might overlook that. But then when you're doing your leadership development, understanding that positivity, you needed definitely that. I mean, what else did you learn when you decided to keep expanding the company instead of possibly selling it? We've changed so much. That's almost 10 years ago now. And it's crazy to look back and say, man, we got basically half our revenue size in five years and it's taken 10 years to double that. But it's a lot of investment in ERP systems, a lot of investments in systems and processes and people to run them. And what's ERP? I don't want to leave anyone behind because I don't think I even know. It's like an enterprise resource planning. So it does your books, it does your inventory, it does your order flow, basically runs your entire business. And we invested, I think, in three of them throughout the course of time. Some of those implementations can throw somebody out of business. They cost thousands or hundreds or millions of dollars. Our last one's were well into over millions of dollars. And so that's a big investment, buying space or buildings, buying companies. We continue the vertical integration. And then we started bringing brands, like we brought this brand called Rock Screen Printing Equipment that's super bright green. And the screen printing equipment space has been really kind of dull and like just commoditized. It just prints t-shirts. It's not really meant to be sexy or sophisticated. And so we brought this European brand in 2012 that ended up, now it's the biggest part of our business because the equipment's $100,000 sale price. So even if you only sell a few of them, it's still like increasing revenues quite a bit. Those types of things, we just started adding different business segments and different types of investments. And they've helped us build a company that is actually a company that runs off a system versus, hey, we got an order. like, And then everyone goes into reaction mode to get the order out the door, which is literally how a lot of startup businesses run and how we ran for at a $20 million company. We didn't, $20 million had no idea how much inventory we had. No clue. You know, we go, hey, let's ship this gallon of white ink. Hey, we ran out of that white ink. Oh, crap. We need to order more white ink. That's how it would go. So how did you fix that? Hiring the people that have done those types of systems, implementing the systems. Now, every day we do a cycle count. And if there's white ink that doesn't match the system, which it should match the system, the system will tell you to reorder it. It just kind of turns into a business system that is absolutely necessary to grow. And so I think the sooner you can invest in those as a young business, the further you're going to get down the road, the more successful you're going to be because eventually you're going to have to do it. The overall best book I ever read on that is called The E-Myth Revisited. It's an awesome entrepreneur book on how to build a business system that runs your business instead of you running it. Talking back again about 10 years ago or even up till now, it seems like the biggest risk that you've taken the whole time was maybe investing in these ERP systems that you're talking about. We did that. We did bringing in we bought a company, the Riley Hopkins brand, that is a brand of screen printing equipment. We continue to take a lot of risks. The all-made apparel company that we started two years ago was a huge risk because it's a totally different business. I'm saying just even 10 years ago, we're looking back, quote unquote, early on, if you will. We bought a building. That was a big risk. Five years into it, we had bought in three or four different businesses by that point in time to continue this vertical integration. Even today, it's different because somebody like tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, wait a minute. If you run the business into the ground, you're going to put 100 people out of the job. I'm like, oh crap. 
<laughs> that's the first time I thought about that. Otherwise, I think you have to be comfortable every day doing something that's scaring you enough to like, this decision could be a game changer or it could put us out of business and I'm okay with that. Without those types of moves, you're not going to be innovating enough to make that next step. And if you're not innovating, if you're not growing, you're dying. I don't want to fast forward over those buying the businesses or buying the building because, yeah, those are obviously huge risks too. I guess that was just the first one that I had heard around that point in time because it'd be kind of fast growth, but it seemed like it was all, I don't know, simple. Like all the revenue kept going up and up and up during those years, right? To me, when you said ERP and you have to put even millions into it today, that sounds a lot of money to put into a quote unquote ERP system. It is, but it's amazing. It's so worth it. It runs the entire thing and it's all done on the cloud. And so I can be on an airplane doing my work in Hawaii or, or sitting in the office. So I wish we had done it in 2009. We ended up investing in another ERP system. The one that we're on today is called NetSuite and it's an awesome system. We looked at NetSuite and we didn't do it. We thought it was going to be too expensive. And oh, I was like, that's one of those decisions like, man, if we would have done that back then, how much further would we be ahead now versus three years of doing the wrong ERP system and having to do it all over again. This is exactly why I want to talk about it. Tell us who it was, what was going wrong. I could see someone listening. They're like, okay, they want to invest in an ERP system. I think we can all figure out buying a business or buying the building. I can visually kind of figure that out. But an ERP system, as far as buying one, what to look for and everything. So, I mean, could you help us out with that? There's a lot of options out there. There's the Oracles and the SAP, and SAP is like a, the one that runs like a lot of the Fortune 500 companies. When we started looking at it, we like budget shopped. And I think that's the MO of a lot of people. They don't want to spend too much money. But this is something, I think the lessons that we learned through like doing three of these is don't buy something because of the price. Don't buy something and rely somebody else to do it for you. And don't buy something that's going to only last you for the next growth phase. Buy something that's going to last you for the next hundred years. Buy something that's not the cheapest and buy something that you know how to do. And once we figure those three things out, we got it right. But like, hey, consultant guy, come like run our business for us. Consultant guy charges you like 150 to $200 an hour, first of all. And secondly, he doesn't know anything about your business. $100,000 afterwards, you're like, holy crap, this does not work the way we need it to work. So we actually hire our own team that runs it from the inside. And pretty much everyone that I know is that is successful doing this, that's how they do it. They have to do it because every business is unique. No matter what software you buy, you have to customize it. If you don't have people that can do it inside your company, whether that's a flex person or a full-time person, you're screwed. I mean, you're just going to spend way too much money to get a result because this can add value to your company, but it doesn't produce revenue. So if you have to invest $100,000, that's $100,000 you don't get invested in advertising. And then not buying the cheapest solution out there that works for now is huge. And again, I'll go back to it because I've talked to other guests about buying companies or buying real estate. It's not like the building you were going to buy is going to disappear, but it sounds like you paid 100000 for the first ERP system. And maybe that didn't work out, obviously, like you said at first, because I'm even looking at the top ERP systems today. It's like SAP, Oracle, Intuit. I don't know which one you ended up using, but one of them you're saying might be good for a different industry, but for yours or for your company, it didn't work out. Is that right? Yeah, I would definitely recommend getting advice, going to their events. Don't just talk to one person. Talk to customers that have used it before. Do a lot of research and don't go with the first option that you see. It is also a lot easier now. There's so many basically entry-level systems that will take you so far. I mean, even QuickBooks has come so far in how it used to be. It allows you to do a lot of things that it didn't used to do, which can run a business. QuickBooks is an amazing system and it's cheap, but 
it didn't allow us to do a lot of things that we needed to do in our business. So we had to look at a different options to do it right. Even for percentage wise, they're just exactly what you said. Even though SAP is the biggest one and it's only 7% of the market, the other part is 70%. So I mean that there's so many small ones, like you were saying, make sure you invest in one that you can grow into. I mean, can you just make it even more basic, I guess, is that what the ERP does or did for you versus what you were doing before? So when we were running our first system, it wasn't integrated to our website. Literally, we'd like have a team. I think at one time we had four people that entered orders from the website. That's all they did. And that is not value at all. They're just literally a little bit of value acts. Maybe there's a chance to catch an error or something when a human looks at it, but then there's also a chance to make tons of issues. More errors and putting it right. That was a huge, because our systems aren't connected. And that's a problem with a lot of ERP systems is the front end's not connected to the back end. So you have multi-billion dollar companies, publicly traded companies that they run an e-commerce solution over here and they run their financials over here. So the reason why we chose this last one that we went with, NetSuite, is that it does everything. And it talks to the website, inventory goes to the website. Inventory hits the balance sheet as soon as it gets sold. It all happens in the same transaction. That was something that I didn't know that was, first of all, when I started looking at it. But it's important, I think, that you have systems that talk to each other, at least with minimal customization. And that makes sense. Okay, so you're just saying, basically, instead of having all these different people in different departments, and it might slowly, you know, the financial people with the inventory people having at different times beforehand, but with an ERP system, you happen right away all at once. So everything's on the same page. Yeah. Startup business land, typically, this is how it runs. I start to build a website. Or I start a point of sale system if I have a point of sale store. I give that information to my accountant. Oh, crap. I don't know how to keep track of all my customers. And they're just like numbers in this database. I need to plug in a CRM system. You end up plugging in all these systems that you're paying monthly for, but none of them work together. You have to transport the information one by one to each one. And the ERP system wraps that all together. That's really helpful for anyone who gets to that size like you did back then. If they're getting to a point where they have so many different programs and they don't know what to do and their head spinning, I think it's probably time to look at the ERP system and kind of see what opportunities are available, right? Yeah. I think 10 million in revenue is a very important time, even 5 million in revenue. Well, why don't we talk about even if you want to fast forward to any of the downturns of the business, because honestly, it sounds like it's just gone up at least revenue wise and profit wise for you the entire time. So last year, first year in business that we lost money. And it was a rough, rough year. We had one of my partners, our CFO and COO was running most of the company, left, got recruited to technology company. And then we took a lot of the team with him. And then we started this new business segment, the apparel line, which we knew nothing about and made a lot of mistakes. And then we just were not operating efficiently and took another few other big risks in the business. It was the first year overall that we lost money. We were able to be profitable and continue to grow during the recession. We've had a couple other times where we've almost lost profitability, but we never literally dipped that far below the red. And I think it's important once you get to a size where you're doing a considerable number of revenue to be able to really see in the future forecast-wise and financial-wise and model decisions you're going to make in your business before you actually go and do them. Because it might sound good. Most entrepreneurs are great salespeople. So I sold our bank on this new business model, like where we'd actually like fund our customers to buy equipment. And literally, this is the best idea. No one was doing it. It was super innovative. We even sold bankers on it. And we never forecasted it. We never modeled it. And it was a huge burden to our balance sheet. And it was a big risk for our company that we had to then end up unwinding. A lot of it got unwound last year. 
I think that's important for a business to do when you're going to invest considerable amounts of money into a new business or a new venture to really model it. And that's something that we're just now figuring out how to do. Do you want to talk about that a little bit more? Maybe I think we could learn from this mistake. Again, this sounds like kind of the first financial mistake, the whole business, and it just happened this last year. It was a couple of years leading up to last year, and then all just kind of like hit last year. A couple of things I would recommend always doing, this is something that we do now, is managing your revenue per team member and not making sure that your overhead's not getting out of control because systems, you can fire like products go up and down, but people are fairly hard to hire them and it's also hard to get rid of them. That's one of the things that we didn't do a good job with is making sure that our overhead was in line with our growth and our gross profit to either fund net profit or a loss. And then during that time, not having the right people in line to really manage the business financials and really see like, hey, we're spending way too much money on freight. We have to change our free freight policy because it's eating 3% of our bottom lineup. And 3% of your bottom line, if you're making 6% profit, is half your profit. A few other things go wrong and then all of a sudden you're no longer profitable. So I think a lot of businesses and, and entrepreneurs don't look at things that way having a team that really understands that on the finance side. And if you don't have it internally, make sure that you can rely on somebody externally to give you that insight. Because it's hard to find those people internally and they cost a lot of money, but it's fairly easy to find you know, a part-time CFO or a CFO for hire, even like an agency that does it. And they can give you a forecast. They can give you models like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this business venture. We're going to invest this much money. It's going to produce this kind of result. Let's throw that out three years in the future and see what happens to the rest of the business. And the rest of the business had always kind of covered up those new little ventures, but we had done some really, really big ones that it couldn't cover up anymore. So it sounds like financially, you were able to figure out that, I don't know if you're saving your money along the way to try these little ventures and that kind of get you through it. Is that what happened? And how about personally as well? Because I've talked to some entrepreneurs where business is going well and they're all excited and then they start personally buying nice cars and nice houses and instead of keeping their overhead low personally. For the size of business that we are, I think I'm so lucky. Like my wife doesn't work. We have a great house. We get to go on vacations. We have good cars, but we don't like overspend. For like the last couple of years, I wasn't even taking a paycheck because the business was going through such hard times. Again, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Those who get too comfortable, whether it's personally or in their business, just don't want to take those risks and they don't want to go to that next level. Now, on the flip side, we have a lot of luxuries and we have a lot of abilities by being a business owner or being an entrepreneur that a lot of other people don't have. But when it goes wrong, it can go pretty wrong and you have to be comfortable with that. And your family has to be comfortable with that too. So personally, I think that's one of the things that you know is hard and we've just been pretty fortunate to have always figured out a way to get by. And what ended up happening last year is throughout the course of this business, I'd been investing in real estate. And so the economy is great in real estate. And so we ended up selling all the real estate off and ended up funding our own personal and then some of these other ventures that we did as our businesses were struggling and not able to do it, but you know, through the business processes. I don't want to skip over it. It sounded like everything went well, but we haven't really touched on the last couple of years if it's been a struggle. What's been the issue that maybe we could learn from or that you've kind of try to figure it out. Because I mean, not taking the salary last couple of years, I mean, that obviously hurts you personally. Yeah. And again, we've been fortunate to be in a position where we've figured out different ways to make money or to fund, whether it's savings or, you know, real estate sales or whatnot. But I think entrepreneurs want to throw the dice out on the table and, you know, let it ride. I think I was probably just doing that too much without really somebody on the back end saying like, hey, if you do that again and you lose this hand, that's it. You know, buddy, you're gone. You're off the table versus just like this endless supply of chips that just always were there to play with. The financial oversight and then the constructs in your business that kind of balance that really 
entrepreneurial side that is willing to risk. If I'm gambling, I don't really gamble. Am I gambling with my wife? She like literally takes the chips off the table and puts it in her like purse. You're doing well. Otherwise, I'll just sit there and I'll lose it all. Well, if I've already won a thousand dollars, I could make ten grand. You know. So it's like that in your business where our CFO now and then we implemented a president who's very conservative and much more data oriented. So it balances this kind of crazy go for everything side. And there has to be mutual respect and controls there that let the business operate and let the entrepreneur try new things, but not let them run the ship into the ground either. So you think you've surrounded yourself now to keep that from happening? I respect your ability to keep trying these other things, right? So you don't want to get stagnant personally, but also the business-wise, right? But now you're saying that maybe there's too many risks on some of the things that you're doing and by having other people around who are more, I don't know, thought, think of it as a $50 million business versus like those early years where you can just randomly try stuff. It sounds like you kept trying these things and maybe some of them weren't working out and now you're surrounding yourself with other people who kind of try to keep you in check if you're trying new things. Is that right? Yeah. And I always had that. At first, it was my wife who ran the books and then our previous CFO that ran the books. It was always that kind of balance check. But when we got to this level, I remember I pitched him an idea once and I was totally expecting him to say no. He's like, yeah, let's do it. I'm like, what? <laughs> what <laughs> yes. was that? Yeah. You kind of wanted him to say no. Yeah. And so I think making sure that everyone's still aligned with that is important. Personally, what do you think you've learned over the last couple of years with this then? It's been awesome because every mistake is an opportunity to learn. And I think was saying this last week is like, it's not about winning or losing. It's about not dying. I think as long as you're able to play again the next day, you're able to kind of start new things and change the way you do things. But I think the big personal lessons is empowerment and getting people in the right seats that are really, really meant to be there and giving control away that you might want to control because they're better doing it than you are. And so that's what I was emphasizing. It sounds like that's what you've done, right? I mean, have you taken more of a back seat to some of the stuff going on in the company? Yeah, day-to-day -day operations for sure. But also, what am I good at and how do I do more of that? So if I'm good at getting people excited or good at pitching or good at whatever it might be, doing more of that, which I love doing more. Because if you're good at it, you just probably like doing it. And that's way better than sitting in an operations meeting for me, which I'm like getting pissed off and hitting my head against the window. I agree with you. That's what I'm saying. Is that the self-reflection you've had over the last couple of years, being able to do that versus you were sounding like maybe you're more in that role that you didn't want to necessarily be in. You'd rather be in the stuff you were enjoying. And then necessarily, if you're enjoying it, you're probably decent at it as far as getting people more excited about the company or trying these other little things instead of running the day-to-day. -day. It sounded like you were doing more of that the last couple of years. Yeah, but I think the really letting go of that, for me, it's like getting out of the office. As the founder, you know how everything works, at least think you know how everything works. And so it's hard to relinquish that control or that ability if you're sitting there the whole time. So traveling and doing work in different locations has really enabled our operations team and our president, our CFO to actually run the business. And then also given me a different perspective. When I do come in the business, it's not from the perspective of being in it, it's from the sense of stepping into it, which is a different, different type of perspective. So when you're traveling, are you traveling for the business to try to sell more of Ryanet or like, what are you doing now? Typically, yeah, I just always try to drive my wife crazy, but even on family trips, like see a client in or two, or a lot of those clients are now friends, but so we mix business and personal together sometimes, but a lot of speaking, a lot of talking about the industry as a whole. We're in this apparel industry now that is so much like 
the screen print supply industry is a couple hundred million a year, where the apparel industry is billions and billions and billions a year. So we're in a much bigger industry and we're raising awareness on the environmental factors of the industry, which is the second most wasteful in the environment. So I do a lot of talking and speaking on that. And then also do a lot of talking and speaking within the screen print supply industry as well. And then trade shows and then client visits and then business development, both domestically and internationally. And you had touched on it and we talked about it kind of off and on, I guess, throughout the interview. And so that's what All Made is part of as far as the pollution aspect, because we didn't really touch as much on that. The goal of the t-shirt was, hey, we're selling 500 million shirts a year. We're making 10 cents a shirt because that's the ink that goes on the shirt. I'm like, wow, if we could make the shirt for like a small percentage of that and the shirts sell for 3 to $5, wow, now we're a billion dollar company all of a sudden. That was kind of the original vision of like getting into the t-shirt industry, but I always knew it was going to be super hard to do. It's very capital intensive and a totally different industry. And so the why kind of was developed from meeting this nonprofit that is actually a screen print customer of ours called the Global Orphan Project, that they create living wage jobs throughout the world. One of their jobs they create in Kansas City is called GoX, and they hire people off the street and out of the criminal justice system, and they teach them how to screen print. And that's how we got connected with them. They also do that in Haiti to prevent orphan. International orphanism is really more like a band, child abandonment due to financial resources. About 80% of the orphans are not orphans. They have parents. They just can't take care of them. So they started these living wage factories in Haiti making t-shirts and they approached us as a customer saying like, you guys help people print a lot of t-shirts. Can you help us make more t-shirts so we can help prevent thousands of more orphans? And so we started that. Why? We brought all of our customers to Haiti. We experienced really the grassroots of what poverty is and what are the solutions for that worldwide. But we also being in that country, 80% of the waste in the world comes from third world countries because they don't have the resources or literally the financial care or ability because they can't barely feed your family. You're not going to worry about cleaning up your environment. So all the plastic going into our oceans, 80% of it comes from third world countries. We saw that and we're like, man, researching the apparel industry is like, it's so wasteful. The average t-shirt is like 700 plus gallons of water to make. A third of its waste comes from chemicals that we use to process and grow this cotton. And then we're using billions and billions of drums of oil to make polyester a year. So we decided to not only make a good shirt to print on, not only make a good shirt that helps prevent orphans, but we also decided to make it out of recycled water bottles versus using oil. You know, So we use six to eight recycled water bottles in every shirt. And we also used organic cotton instead of using chemical cotton. And so it's an environmentally friendly shirt, which solves that problem. It does great things for the people that make it, and then it makes a great quality product at the end of the day. So what do you see for the future of you and Brandnet? This industry is an amazing industry. I don't know the future of what parts of the industry will end up touching, but you know we're excited to keep that core of helping people start a business and grow a business, but also as we do that, help make the world a better place through the supply chain of it. I think when you look at a social business and every part of your P&L that drives your business does good in the world versus maybe taking a percentage of your profits at the end of the day and donating 1% for the planner or whatnot. I think creating social business and social business awareness in our industry and then expanding that to other industries will hopefully see the future and being able to solve world problems through commerce is an amazing opportunity. No, absolutely. Looking back on your story, is there any last words that you want to leave for anyone starting a business or maybe midway through a business and struggling and gone through the things that you've gone through? One of the quotes I love is stay hungry, stay foolish from a Steve Jobs speech because you never know, but do it smartly, I guess he would say. Model it out first, but keep that hunger, keep that edge, but make sure that you're knowing what those decisions are. So it's kind of the yin yang of that saying. And when you're talking about business and giving back, I don't know, have you heard of a certified B Corps before? Yeah, no? those, okay. those are awesome. 
that's kind of an aspect of what you were talking about, like donating whatever percentage back to social good. In episode 110, if anyone's listening and want to learn more about that, especially the back half of the interview with Jay Wilkinson, he started his own B Corp and he's all about that and talks about that. And we talk about that in more depth. So that's also important. Ryan, we appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. If anyone wanted to say thank you for doing the interview, what's the best way for them to reach you? Or maybe they need some t-shirt equipment. Yeah. So check out, if you follow me, Ryan Moore, at Ryan Moore, there's no E at the end of my name. So any social channel, you can just put Ryan Moore in. And then the All Made Apparel is allmade.com. And then screenprinting.com is our screen print website. So if they wanted to support what you were saying, is it best to go to allmade.com as far as the Haiti thing? And again, it's kind of supporting that cause. Is that the best place to go? Yeah. Whether you need a t-shirt, you can buy a t-shirt from allmade.com. Or if you're doing an event or you can influence the purchase of a shirt, every shirt makes a huge difference in the world from an environmental impact and a social impact. And you can actually go in there and use the calculator. You can punch in, hey, I need 200 shirts for my kid's school. And you can show what the impact of those 200 shirts can do for the world. Anything that people can help, every shirt makes a difference. Thank you again for coming on and sharing your story, Ryan. Yeah. Thank you very much, Austin. Keep up the good work. Love what you're doing in the entrepreneur space and excited to continue to listen to your podcast. Do you know someone who would be an awesome guest to have on the show? If you do, then send us an email at austin at millionaire-interviews.com. We're always looking for smart, beautiful entrepreneurs who are willing to share their story. In other news, if you want to leave us feedback about the show, Give us a call or text us on our new hotline. Simply dial 1-305-985-3469. The best comments, questions, or feedback will be shared on a future episode. So don't be scared to get creative. Thank you for listening to this episode. It's been made available for free by our podcast sponsors and our Patreon members. So thank you to you both, especially our newest and oldest Patreon members for paying for this episode. So, would you be willing to pay for someone else to listen for free? If you are willing to help support us and get some awesome Patreon perks along the way, then go to austinsbigp.com. So again, if you're willing to pay it forward and allow someone else to listen to this episode for free, then go to austinsbigp.com. <laughs>